0: Alright, as you look at me today, everyone notices something different about my head. And I, I tell you, this is one of, the, one of those weeks. Okay? I had, on top of my sermon today, a piece of paper that was supposed to be my opening illustration. And it's not here, because I ran out of the house forgetting 17 million things. So, I didn't have it, and I'm driving in, and I'm getting really frustrated because that is the culmination of my week, and I thought, wait a minute, I don't need that email I got in my head. Let me explain what happened. Friday, we had haircuts. So we went out on the deck, and Cameron got a haircut, and JJ got a haircut, and and I got a haircut. And I was putting the clippers away, and there was a little little strip I missed. So I decided I would take the clippers down, and I would just tune it up. And I sat down, and. When you wear glasses and cut your hair, you typically take them off and you don't see a thing. I go by feel. And I took the clippers and I went zzz, And I expected a quiet noise with a couple pieces of hair, but it was a loud noise. And it been a long day, a long week, and I just thought I'd better even it out. And I'm going along and after three or four rows, it struck me that there might be a reason it's cutting so much hair, and I brought the clippers down in front of my face. And clippers have guards on them, which adjust the length of your hair, and tears rolled down my face as I was laughing at hysterics. I had shaved two thirds of the top of my head. And I'm sitting there thinking, do I leave the top part a little bald and let it grow? Like, what do you do at this point? So I'm just laughing hysterically, and I decide I'm going I have to go for broke. So I started shaving the rest of the hair off. And I call Laura while I'm doing this, who's on her way home, and she's a laughing and hysteric. She can't even speak. And I get it all done, and, and I ask Cameron, who's always has always an encouraging word. Cameron, how's it look? He says, really bad. <laughs> so I'm resigned to the fact that I have lost my hair. And I go and I take a shower. And it got worse because apparently what happened was when you laugh a lot, you sweat and the sweat will hold the clippings to your head. I didn't know this or I wouldn't have showered. And I got out of the shower and this has grown a lot in about two days, there was like, you know, well men when you cut your hair you can see the tan line in the summer, well the whole head was white. It was like stubble, so sometimes life goes really fast and you forget what you're doing and you make mistakes. And The email I had, let's, I'll see if I can recreate it, it was fictitious, but it went along the lines of there was a person who went outside uh, to water the flowers. So they turned on the hose to go water the flowers and they noticed the car was dirty. So they went to the garage to get the stuff to wash the car while the hose was still on and they needed to go inside because they realized oh they had brought they saw the mail when they went into the garage. So they brought the mail inside and realized they needed to pay the bills. So they went to get their checkbook, but the checkbook had only one check, so they went to the study to get more checks and when they got to the study there was a can of Coke that had to be moved that they started to drink. It was getting warm, so they went to put it away. And when they went to put the Coke can away, they walked into the kitchen. And when they walked into the kitchen, they saw the remote control that had been missing. So they went to put the remote control where it was supposed to go. And when they went to put it where it was supposed to go, they found their reading glasses they had been looking for all day. So they took their reading glasses to go back to the study. And when they got to the study, they realized that the garbage needed to go out. And they, by the point of this, this is how it ended. At the end of the day, the driveway had flooded. The car wasn't washed. The flowers never got watered. The bills never got paid. The checkbook still had one check in it. The Coke was warm, sitting on the same counter it was. They couldn't find their reading glasses, and the remote was lost again. But they felt exhausted, and they knew they were busy, and couldn't understand why they got nothing accomplished on that day. Do you ever feel like that? Yes. It's not just me. Bald me. Well, as I was preparing the sermon for this week, from John chapter 10, I had eight points in the sermon. And I'm frantically figuring how do you preach an eight-point sermon? Where do I pare it down? What do I adjust? How do I shorten you know, it? Sounds like this in my head. And I had to hurry up because I had to rush to get to bed, to rush to get up in the morning because the kids were going to get them. So I thought, why not just take a breath and slow down? Why not do four this week and four next week? So what we're all going to do today is as you look at my hair, be reminded, don't rush. We're going to take a breath. I'm going to slow down And we're going to take this week and next week to look at the first 21 verses of John chapter 10. We're going to do it that way because there's no need to rush. If Jesus comes back, we'll be alright. If uh, he doesn't come back in the next week, we can think on these four. But this week and next, we're going to talk about sheep. You may have thought sheep were over. The week after that, we're going to talk about boxes. And in four weeks, we're going to talk about dead sheep that come out of boxes, but you're going to have to wait till John chapter 11 for that one, alright? That's the story of Lazarus. So today, we're going to go back into sheep. We're going to look at John chapter 10, the first 21 verses, and if you'll remember, we finished chapter 9 last week. Now, in the Bible, it wasn't written in chapter 4, so it wasn't that... The Bible was communicated through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and in the Gospel of John, the Holy Spirit said, John chapter break, right now chapter 10, verse 1. He's said, like, what was verse 11 in chapter 9? No, there were no chapter breaks. The chapter breaks were put in many years later, and they're quite helpful in finding things, um, but these are not divinely inspired. And sometimes I think we can get confused. Chapter 10 isn't something new. It's a continuation of a discussion in chapter 9. So we had the man born blind, who had his sight restored. He got kicked out of the synagogue. His mom and dad kind of threw him under the bus, remember, because they wanted the glory that comes from man. And Jesus found him outside, and he ended up worshiping Jesus. And then these Jewish authorities came along, and they were listening in on the discussion, and Jesus kindly said to them, I'll summarize it, you're blind fools. Remember that? If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees a wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. I would preach this sermon using the titles Jesus gave to himself. He calls himself the shepherd, the good shepherd, the door. Um, but as I was going through it this week, I saw, I titled this sermon, Eight Wows, I think is what it says on there. Eight truths about who Jesus is and his relationship to us that when we fully understand them, we can't help but say, wow, and it will radically change how we live our lives. Before we do that, let me give you a, a brief explanation of what a shepherd is. When, when you think of a shepherd, what do you think of? Man in a robe or a staff? You go with the man in the robe? I actually go with the cowboy. I don't know why. <laughs> I picture, like, they call them barn coats, like those uh, J. Crew, right? They, all of them, in my mind, wear these coats with, with cowboy hats, and it's always about 45 degrees, so they're bundled up with a wool collar. And they ride horses, and it's always a tan horse with, with a dark brown mane. I don't know what's wrong with me, and they ride these horses, usually one or two of them, and they have dogs, border. it's always a border collie if you're a shepherd, in my mind, and they're yelling at the sheep, and the dogs are running up the flanks, here, yeah, yeah. and the sheep are, the, bah! and they herd them into a group, and they drive them where they want them to go. I envision it like miniature cattle herding, right? It's kind of like sheep herding, just go with it, go with it here. Well, shepherding in Jesus' area at this time, and even in our time today, is very different than what I envisioned. Maybe I'm crazy. It's what I envision. In this time, it was more like taking your dog for a walk, but envision hundreds of dogs, and a good dog that listens, not the type that runs everywhere, you're screaming because they're sniffing everyone. And the dog that walks behind you, you ever see the dog whisper? Caesar Milan? The calm, assertive dog owner. The one that walks right behind you. But imagine like 50 or 100 of them who follow you and listen to your voice. These were not shepherds who drove sheep. These were shepherds who led sheep. They followed them. And we need to understand that. And and these sheep at times lived in communal pens. It was expensive to house sheep. So they'd go in these communal pens and the shepherd would come in the morning and he'd call his sheep. Now, I don't know what he called them or their names, but they had names, so he'd say something like, it's really hard when you're going to make up names on the fly. You don't want to use somebody's name. Betty, Frank, Joey, Smithy, come on! And the sheep hear their shepherd's voice, and it's kind of like in my house, come on, Duke! And the sheep would get up, and they would come out and follow their shepherd. Now, if a non-shepherd came to get them, they're not going anywhere, because they know their shepherd's voice, and they obey their shepherd. So, keep all that in mind as you're listening to his... Uh, illustration of the the sheep hole, the gate, the door, leading the sheep. And this is what I found. I'm only going with four. If you hear me get to point five, yell stop, because we're not rushing, right, We're not rushing. First thing I saw, in verse three, it says here, To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Truth one, Jesus speaks to us. He calls. Yes? He audibly leads his sheep. Has God ever felt distant to you? I, I used to think at times God felt very distant, and then I have trouble in my mind sometimes, because if something's theologically off, I tend to communicate a bit cynically. but if we don't have our theology right, we don't view God right. Here's what struck me: God can't be distant. Why? What's God? He's omnipresent. He's everywhere all at once. So if we view God as being distant, we're not viewing God for who He is. If God seems distant, we miss the point of who God is, right? God can't be distant. He has to be everywhere all at once if He's God. But I think what we mean is that God seems silent. Have you ever had a situation where you desperately need to know God's will? And you're pleading with Him, God, let me know what you want me to do. I want to do what you want me to do, but I need you to make it clear to me. And you get a resounding... Ever happened to you? You just... You need to know, but he's not saying anything. And you're saying, God, but why? It says right here, you call your sheep and lead them out while I'm looking for some leading. And there's nothing? Ever happened to you? I have a good friend right now who is going through a situation where he feels, he adamantly needs to know what God wants him to do so he doesn't make a mistake and God's not saying anything. I've gone through situations in my life like that and I'm fairly confident that there are people sitting out here today who have gone through situations where they want to know how to respond in a situation or what to do and God doesn't say anything. How do you reconcile those two things? He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And all of a sudden, it seems really, really quiet. What I think happened was, over the last 2,000 years, God got laryngitis. Because he's been yelling at us for so long. You know, as a parent, sometimes if your kids are having a bad week, and you know, at the end of the week, you sound raspy, I said, sit down, lost my voice. Well, imagine doing that for 2,000 years, right? So what happened was around, I guess, 1980s, God got laryngitis. And because that, it's healing... Hopefully it's healing quickly, and I expect in the next couple of years we'll start to hear from him again. Alright? So there's your good news. Point one, God will be able to speak in a couple of years. Let's get to point two. God doesn't have laryngitis. God isn't jabber jaws. God doesn't perpetually talk and say the same thing over and over again. Clean your room, 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 clean your room. What do you want me to do? Clean your room, clean your room, clean your room. No, God speaks. We can hear. But sometimes, we don't pay attention, we clog our ears, or frankly, we don't want to hear what God has to say. I'll speak only for myself. I have found there are times that I desperately, desperately want to know God's will, and I can't discern it, and it's been made very clear to me at a point later on, as I read something in his inspired word that spoke so specifically and directly to that. This book, which I, I don't want to use the word harp on, which I gently encourage all of us to spend time in, is the inspired Word of God which tells us that it is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Over the past year, I've been really, gosh, it's a year and a half now, working on scripture memory, something I had never done before, something that doesn't come easily, um, and it has proven my singing is horrible. But I can't tell you how many times I have been in a situation in the past year where I've either needed to know what to do or how to respond, and out of nowhere, from the back recesses of my dusty head, this verse comes to mind that I had forgotten and actually memorized, and God used that to give me direction or to give me words to speak to somebody. In Matthew, it also says something along the lines of, you'll be brought before people because of Jesus, but don't worry about what to say, for he'll give you the words to say. Yeah, he will. The question is, will you feast upon them to be able to use them? When we neglect God's word, we will struggle to hear from God and know his will. Could God speak audibly to our ears? Absolutely. Does he? I believe he does. I believe a couple times in my life I've heard audible not that the neighbor would hear, but in my head a voice spoke that I really think was God. There's, uh, he can certainly do it. He's God. But primarily, his primary method of communication is going to be through his word. We need to understand that God entrusts this word to us. And if we say to him, look, God, check it out. I'm busy. Do you see my hair? I can barely get through a week. I don't have time for this. you got to tell me what to do, bud. If you tell me, I'll do it, but... But seriously, where am I carving out this chunk of time? You want me to memorize? I can't even remember to get my shoes when I leave the house. How am I going to get a Bible verse? So let's work together, God. Let's, let's me and you work together. Do you think God's sitting there and go, Okay, I didn't know it was so bad. Well, let me tell you. This is what I... No. What God does, in my mind, how I picture Him as a perfect loving Father, is He looks at me and kind of shakes His head a little bit. And says, Yeah, I would have laryngitis if I was one of you. John... The reason your head looks like that is because you're running rag. You've got to slow down. Remember that verse that says, Be still and know that I am God? Think about that one. Take a breath. You don't have to finish the Bible every year. You can read it a couple times if you do it my way. Just relax. Don't worry about checking the tasks off. Worry about doing my will and I'll get you through. And Let's peel off the junk and trust me. We'll get to this in a minute. Trust me that I know what I'm doing. And as I've tried to do that over the year, with with goods and bads, i found that when I begin to spend time reading, studying, and memorizing scripture, not to do the whole thing in a year, but just to do it for God's glory, I begin to more fully hear from God. Another way we hear from God is through prayer. Again, that's a problem. Where do you carve out the time from prayer? If you give God two minutes in the scripture and overlay it with the prayer so you can knock off two things at once, multitasking, it's rare that you hear from God. Have you ever done this? You pray your list of things you need God to know, and then you pull one of these. God, if you have something you really need to tell me, just please tell me. Okay, amen. And you get out of there? Yeah, I know you wouldn't do it, but I've been known on occasions. God, I, I want to hear from you what, what your will is, what, I, what you want to speak to me. Mm. Are you saying that I need to hurry up and walk the dog? Okay, I'm going to go... You get nothing. Because we've turned prayer into a rush. The second way we primarily hear from God is through prayer. Prayer is about us communicating with God and God communicating with us, but it always happens on a foundation of Scripture. Prayer does not supplement Scripture. Prayer is built on Scripture. Unbiblical prayer is not really pleasing to God. If you don't believe me, I'll bring you a verse next week. I started to memorize it and I don't know what it is yet. Next week I'll have it. But we need to base our prayer on scripture and we need to spend time in prayer. And the third thing, the third way we primarily hear from Jesus, I believe, biblically, is through fellowship. It's through other believers who we have involved in our lives, who we have built trust, and we have love with. People who can speak truth to us in love, who who can speak the truth of God, because folks, I don't know if you know this or not, but sometimes we make mistakes and don't see things clearly. And we need someone to come alongside us and say, yeah, that's not going to go real well. Or to come alongside us and say, that's awesome. You're an encouragement to me. To, To lift us up and to help us through because we're not made to do this independently. So why does God seem silent? Well, let's be honest. Sometimes He is. God isn't always speaking audibly to all of us. But I think the reason He seems silent is perhaps we don't cultivate the ears to hear. Jesus came to Open the deaf ears. Well, they're open. They can hear. Now what we do in the process of sanctification is unclog them. We're pulling the cotton of sin out of our lives. We're pulling the cotton of our schedule over God's schedule. What we need to do over what he commands us to do. And we need to ask ourselves this. Do we really want to hear from God? Because sometimes he may tell us what we don't want to hear. But we need to know who he is. And know, like that box... If it's not what we want to hear, it's because it's so much better. That's the first truth I see here. Jesus speaks to us. I think it's a pretty amazing truth, no? The sovereign God of the universe, creator of all, speaks to us, but it gets better. He calls his own sheep by what? When Laura and I moved to Chicago, we went to a church in Winnetka. First week we went there, the pastor came up after the church, are you guys new here? Yeah, it's our first time. What's your name? Oh, John and Laura Tripp. Oh, nice to meet you. And we talked for probably five minutes. And the next week we came back, and after the church, the pastor came up. He said, are oh, you guys new here? Yeah. Oh, no, we were here last week. Oh, what's your name? John and Laura Tripp. This is a true story. We came back the third time. Yeah, honest to goodness, the pastor walks up to us. Are oh, you guys new here? No, we were here the last two weeks. Oh, what are your names? John and Laura Tripp. The fourth week, he got better. He didn't ask if it was our first time. But he said, what's your name? It was a very short conversation that happened after that. Now, I understand that you can't remember everybody's name, especially as a pastor. I understand when people come the first week or two, it's that awkward shoot, what was their name? I don't want to ask what their name is. So you go with the, hey, how are you today? It's so good to see you. And then you run the circle, the people you know, hey, what's that person's name? Do you and they're like, I don't know what their name is. And nobody wants to ask because it feels good when people know your name, right? Now, I know everybody's name and we're never letting any new people into the church because it's awkward. This is, a good, this is my maximum name recognition number. It's nice to be known by name, but when this says that Jesus calls his sheep by name, In the Bible, when it speaks of names, do you know it's not talking about the sounds by which you're known? Chris. That's Chris. That's her name. But biblically, when someone knows your name, they know all about you. They know your character and your attributes. Moses says to God, Who shall I say sent me? And God doesn't say, Tell him Frank in the sky sent you. He says, Tell him I am sends you. Do you know why God's name is I am? Because it tells us about His character. Maybe we'll do a sermon series at some point down the road on the names of God. They tell us His attributes. Why do you think Jesus was named Jesus? Mary and Joseph are like, What do you think of the name? It's actually Joshua in Hebrew. What do you think of the name Simon? I don't know, Joseph. I kind of like it. What about Benjamin? Has a nice ring, but I'm not sure. How about my great-grandpa's name was Joshua? Shall we call him Joshua? Yeah, let's call him Joshua. No, he was called Jesus because you know what Joshua means? God saves. Pretty cool name. Kind of tells you a little bit about who he is. When this says Jesus knows our name, it's not like he's sitting up at the right hand of God going, you know, an Angel's like, Jesus, who's that? He's like, Patty! Patty Bonsall! Yeah! He knows her name. No. It means that Jesus knows us intimately. It would have been nice week two at the church and when the pastor's like, Hey, John and Laura, how are you guys? Great to see you again. Like knows my name. You ever see the movie Cars? There's a scene in Cars, and there's this rusty pickup truck, Fred. And at the final race, Fred is sitting outside like the VIP section of the track, and Mario Andretti comes in, and, and the security won't let Fred by, and Mario Andretti says, hello, Fred. And Fred's like, Mario Andretti knows my name! Mario Andretti knows my name! And his, his rusty bumper falls off. It's, his, it's supposed to be his jaw-dropping. <laughs> Mario Andretti read a license plate. Jesus Christ knows your name. Do you understand how cool that is? We try to gain significance by being recognized and appreciated by other people. And it feels good, doesn't it? When someone knows our name. I remember watching the news a couple weeks ago, and the president referenced a person who was on the nightly news. I don't remember the situation. But he, he talked about what the person said. Could you imagine? And they interviewed the guy afterwards. Being the person and the president says... Well, you know, Dan Hoover made a very good point. He's like, wow, Barack Obama knows my name. Yeah, he would know his name from the news, but he doesn't know anything about him. Jesus Christ, the one through whom and for whom all was created, knows everything about us. Significance will never be found in other people knowing our name or even thinking highly of us. Significance is found in understanding the truth that the Good Shepherd knows everything about us because he knows our name. There's point two. Point three. Jesus leads us. We're still sitting in verse three. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. Have you ever thought about why God leads us? Why God gives us commandments? Do you think it's that, uh, well, is he a control freak? Is God just desperate to control everything? Is it that, that he's a, a domineering, mean-spirited God, I don't want these people to have fun. I will give them lists of rules and regulations and prevent them from dancing and smoking and drinking and ever laughing at one another. Oh, wait till heaven. Do you think that's what God is like? And those kids, those drastic kids, the music and the dancing style, they shall never have fun again. They shall sit in their rooms with no electronics and I will stop texting when I lose my laryngitis. Why do you think God gives us commandments? Why does Jesus lead us? You ever thought about that? Keep us from getting in trouble. Yeah, he loves us. He wants to keep us from getting into trouble. He knows that us sheep don't know so well what to do on our own. You see, do you know what you call an independent sheep who's gone out on their own? Dinner. <laughs> sheep don't do well living by themselves. Especially the domesticated sheep. These things were made to be led. And you will rarely see a sheep kind of like, Man, I'm done with this. This shepherd stinks. I'm leaving. Who wants to come? You know, he just tried to jump over the little stone wall. You can't quite get there. And he finally frees himself. And when that happens, remember Psalm 23? They get flipped over and bloated. And then, and then the good shepherd has to flip them right side back up. Uh, they get stuck. They get hungry. They don't know how to feed themselves. Then they get dead or eaten. Well, for some reason... We, we forget who we are we, I'm no sheep, I'm actually a, I'm God I, I wouldn't say it like that because that sounds really bad but I know what to do I know what's best and, and God and I can have a discussion because like he ha- I understand he has a divine perspective but seriously he don't understand it my perspective is pretty good and if he and I would talk more we could figure things out better so I'm tired of the domineering controlling God I'm going to have my say, I'm going to do it my way You know when your your grandparents and your parents say to you, listen, that's a really bad choice. You don't understand what I'm saying. You will one day, but you have to trust me. This is going to go really, really bad. I love you. I've been through this. I know. Trust me. And we, when we're kids, oh, please, they don't understand our times. They don't understand. Maybe back in their time, you know, their biggest thing was listening to bad, bad words on the radio. But we understand. We're, we're so much more sophisticated, and I can handle this situation, right? We all did it when we were growing up. Kids nowadays don't do that at all, right? Yeah. We, we all didn't listen to our parents because they didn't know what they were talking about, and we turned into grown-ups, and what we don't want to tell our kids nowadays is sometimes we pull that stunt on God. God, seriously, you know, this is 2,000 years old. You really think you're contemporary? You know what you're talking about? Like, you're going to lead me in 21st century America? He's like, yeah, I'm going to do that, because there wouldn't be 21st century America if I didn't allow it to exist. And our job is to say, as mature sheep, I'm a sheep. I need to be led. I was made to be led, and Jesus is he who leads us. Check this out. God gave us commandments to keep us out of trouble, right, Renee? to to convict us of sin. It makes us aware of the fact that we desperately need a Savior. But then He came down amongst us. He lives within us through the Holy Spirit and empowers and guides us to do His will. It's not, go clean your room. It's, you need to clean your room, and I'm going to come do it with you. In fact, I'll give you all the strength that you need to do it, but you need to walk those feet over there while I use you in the process. We need to be very careful not to be overconfident in ourselves, but we need to understand that Jesus leads us away from sin in the way of righteousness and towards eternal life I was reading again this morning Matthew 9 it says Jesus had compassion for they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd that's what we were without Jesus but you understand that we have a good shepherd who's here to protect us who speaks to us who knows us by name and who leads us alright last one for this week and then next week, the other four build on this. And I've got to be honest with you, my favorite one comes next week. It's kind of why I wanted to rush through this week to get there. <sighs> but we're slowing down. In verse 9, look, look at how I just jumped from 3 to 9. You see how fast I'm moving? It's my new preaching style. We're going to be in Revelation next week. It says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. We all hear that word, right? Saved. It's uncomfortable at times to talk to people, you tell them, Oh yeah, I'm a born again saved Christian. Oh Lord, yes sir, you're one of those. Yep, where's your bow tie and three-piece suit? Well, it's getting dry cleaned, but I'm a born again saved Christian, yeah. And we're going home to do nothing but sit around and look at a wall. Praise the Lord. But we are born again and saved. And I think we need to understand what it means that we're saved. This verse rings so much of John fourteen six. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But what did Jesus come to save us from? If we're honest. Sometimes we think, well, I don't, I don't know if I want to be saved because this is pretty good. It's more like Mom called me out of the swimming pool to go home for a bath than getting called out of the mud pit going to the villa at the seashore. That's because we got bad perspective. That's because we try to become independent sheep. I don't know how you summarize uh, real easily what he saved us from. I guess the easiest thing is ourselves. Jesus saved us from sin. He saved us from God's wrath. He saved us from eternal separation from the love, grace, and mercy of God. He saved us from death and destruction. Now, when you read this, you see that you have two options. You either are saved from all these things, or you are headed to death and ultimate destruction. Have you ever thought about that, that rejecting following Jesus means choosing death and destruction? Now, that's kind of hard to do because when we look at at all those people out there who don't love Jesus, friends, family, the neighbors, sometimes they really got things going right way, it seems like. They got the big house, a nice job, lots of friends. They they got the health. Um, They seem happy and content. And then we're sitting here trying to tell them, oh, well, no, I have it so much better. Well, what do you have that's so much better? Well, and we're thinking in our head, what the heck do I have so much better? I make less money, my house is smaller, I don't get along with many people, nobody knows me, but I'm supposed to have this abundant life. What the heck am I missing? We're going to get to that next time. But the reality is, what we have is we're saved, and they're not. Because one day we all go and we meet Jesus face to face. And the house don't come. He's building one for us. I think I read something about that. The, The reputation gets left behind. The relationships don't always continue on into heaven the recognition and the prestige, well, that all goes to Christ when we go to heaven. And they're going to be standing at the door, some of whom think they know Jesus, some of whom don't care to know Jesus. Paul tells us that we are a people to be envied. You remember that? We have been saved, and we need to understand that the circumstances of life can confuse us when we compare ourselves to other people. But when we look at the circumstances through the eyes of God, when we look at ourselves and we understand that we're sheep, Now, an independent sheep who busts out of the pen and makes a run for it may be envied by other sheep for a a couple minutes. Oh, he's free. He's free. Jimmy made it. Look at him go. Oh, he's running so lovely and eating that grass. No one ever ate that grass. Oh, I wish I was Jimmy. And then somebody goes, "Uh uh-oh. And this wolf starts coming around over the top, down the hill, and Jimmy's chewing away. That's great. I'm free. And the next thing you know, boom, Jimmy's gone. Nobody envies Jimmy anymore, do they? Huh? Anybody in a sheepfold going, Oh, man, for, for five minutes I would die like he did. That was awesome. No, because Jimmy's dead. That's a bad name. See, inevitably you come up with a bad name. I apologize, Hoover family. <laughs> As Jimmy's not here today. <laughs> for a moment, with a short-sighted misperspection... Mis-pers- misperspection... <laughs> Whatever you mean, with seeing stuff, perspective. With a misperspective, a temporal, non eternal, mis. Understand what I'm saying, I'm leaving it behind. We may forget what is truly to be envied and what truly isn't. Okay? God knows exactly what we need. Paul learned to be content in all situations, perhaps in abundance, perhaps in a lacking, materially. Whatever we have, we need to praise God for it because. He's our perfect Father and knows what we need, and He's preparing us for eternity and and using us as we follow Him in this life. And what we need to do is not look at those people we know who don't love Jesus in comparison with others, but in comparison with Christ. Because we're sitting in the sheepfold, and we'll move on to this next week, but Jesus says, And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. Often He brings them by telling the sheep who are His, Go out and call them. Don't drag them in. Don't tie them up and pull them. Go and deliver a message. And here's a message. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he sent his only Son Right? So that all could be forgiven and have eternal life. There's a horrible, horrible end of the week. Um, That was a distraction so you didn't know I missed the end of the verse. For God so loved the world that he sent his only Son Thank you. That's the part I'm missing. See, it happens to the best of us. Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. That's the message, folks, that we have to communicate. And we're to go out in the world as messengers, not saviors, as messengers. And we're not going to go out in the world until we understand more fully who Jesus is. You understand that? Sometimes I, I tend to, it comes across poorly, at least with friends and family. Maybe you guys are more polite. I encourage people, if someone tells you they're a Christian, ask them why. It's not because I'm mean-spirited. It's because we live at a time where 85 to 90% of people in our country self-identify as Christian. Okay? The worst situation you could be in is to think you're a sheep in the sheepfold and to find out you're outside the sheepfold. And part of our job, out of love, is to ask them, how do you know you're a sheep? And they'll say, because I know my shepherd and he knows my name and when he calls me, I hear his voice. They might not say it just like that, but you know what I'm talking about here. Our job is to go out and understand the truths of what we have. The first four truths are pretty awesome. Jesus speaks to us. We struggle to hear him, not because he struggles to speak, but we struggle to prepare ourselves. But yet, what an amazing truth that Jesus speaks to us. Jesus knows our name. I don't frankly care if the Sultan of Dubai knows my name when I understand the significance of the fact that Jesus Christ knows my name and he loves me. Jesus leads me. Why does he lead me? Not because he has to. Not because I demanded a shepherd, but because he loved us so much that he came down to dwell among us, to then send the Helper, the Paraclete, the Holy Spirit, to live within us when he went back to heaven, so we could do his will, know and do his will, and have the abundant life that John talks about here, and most importantly of all, perhaps, Jesus saves us. These are four amazing truths. Here's my encouragement for this week. This is a to-be-continued sermon. When you watch the TV show, it says, to be continued. Now, on the shows I know, y'all are like, oh, what happens? I know this week, you're like, oh, good Lord, we got to come back for another four. No, I want to hear, what happens next? What happens next, Pastor John? Well, I'll tell you folks next week. But this week, what I want you to do, spend some time just thinking about these, all right? You don't have to memorize the Bible in the next seven days. You don't have to read three books, I encourage you maybe read a little more than 21 verses, but why not start with 21 verses? Read John chapter 10, verse 1 through 21. See what God says to you through it. Think about these truths. When you wake up in the morning, think about the fact that Jesus not only knows you woke up, He woke you up. And think about the fact that He didn't forget to give you some stuff to do. He has a perfect day in store for you. Perfect in His will, not your will. Maybe a perfect day because he's going to grow some patience. Ooh, that could be painful, but he knows what he's doing. Maybe a perfect day because he's got a a box for you to open. Something awesome is going to happen in this day. But understand that he knows your name. He has a perfect plan for you each day, and he will lead you in that because he saved you. Now, these are the starting four. The next four, in my opinion, are far more robust. But just take some time this week. Quiet yourself down. Sit on the couch. Sit in the lazy boy chair. Five, ten minutes. You can go longer if you like. And just think about it. Daydream about it. You know when you plan the trip to Disney World? I talked about that. How you, 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 you think about it a lot before you go. Think about it. Who it is who saved us. What makes him the good shepherd. And why it's so awesome to be a sheep. Let's pray. Father, I just, I just pray that you would reveal uh, what it means to us more fully that you are the good shepherd. That you would, uh, you would reveal yourself to us so fully and, and so amazingly, that not only would we think that you're silent, that, that you're silent at any time, but we, w- we would just hear you so clearly, through whatever means you desire, through your word, through an audible proclamation, through others, through prayer, but that we would just experience the reality of your love and, and presence in our lives that we would be unable to do anything but fall on our knees and worship you and walk in obedience to you. That we would understand what the fear of the Lord truly means. Uh, That it's not that we're afraid that you're going to whack us, but it is an awesome respect that we have for you who have created and sustained all, who for some reason has chosen to open our eyes and to open our ears so we may know the truth and be set free. God, I pray you would help us understand the reality of what it means to be saved, to understand what we were saved from, and why it is such a privileged position you have entrusted to us. And I pray through your strength and through your power that we would be a motivated people to go out into the world as the messengers you call us to be, to proclaim the truth to the far corners of the earth, maybe starting with the far recesses of our block, of telling people who you are and how much you love them. And in the process, God, I pray that we would see some of that fruit, that we would see some eyes open, that we would see some ears begin to hear, that we would see people drawn to you and falling before you and worshiping you as Lord and Savior. God, this is a a dry, barren land that we live in at times, spiritually speaking. But Lord, we know that, that you love our friends and family far more than we do. That it is your desire that none should perish, but all should have eternal life, you tell us in your word. And I just pray that you would use us in the process. That you would lead us out into the field for a mighty harvest for your glory. And in the meantime, you would be preparing our hearts to faithfully serve you. God, I pray that uh, what was from you today would be deeply planted. That we would see you more clearly for who you are, rather than for who we desire you to be. For your reality is far greater than our imagination could ever conceive. It's in Jesus' precious name that we pray all these things. Amen.